What the hell's the name of this thing? The Ballsy Podcast. Hosted by the award-winning Evan Grant. This is my baby. And these two were just along riding my carpet, my carpet tail. Kevin Sherrington. I did not choose the dance life. It chose me. Barry Horn. You know what my intention is? When's the last time that anybody has ever asked you a question? No one's ever asked me a question. I'm married. Get ready for the most listened to sports podcast in Dallas-Fort Worth. I'm Evan Grant, and this is Ballsy. I'm Kevin Sherrington, and in this episode, we're going to talk about the Cowboys. And I'm Barry Horn. To hear our other exciting additions, simply subscribe to the Ballsy Podcast on iTunes. You know we're on Facebook and Twitter, too. Just search Ballsy Podcast. That's Ballsy with a Z. So sit back, relax, that's relax with an X, and enjoy another edition of the Cowboys Ballsy with a Z Podcast. Hello, everybody, and welcome into Ballsy, the Sports Day DFW Dallas Morning News Podcast. I am Kevin Sherrington. And I'm his backup, Barry Horn. And I guess that's it, right? Yeah. No. Evan Grant is not with us today. Evan He's Grant's at the baseball winter meetings. Uh, a boondoggle. In, 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 yeah. He's riding the – it's not the Matterhorn, we learned. What does he say? <laughs> Space, Space Mountain. Mountain. He's riding Space Mountain 24 hours a day. And now from the NFL owners' meetings, who do we have on the line with us? Well, we should have David Moore. David, are you out there? Space Mountain sounds rather uh, appealing at the moment, but yes, I am here. <laughs> and and we just want to warn listeners, you've warned us, that you may have to jump off this podcast at any moment. If who comes by, do you have to jump off? Um, actually... Anyone I see, um, I'm just using that as an excuse to jump off whenever I want. Wow. So (laughs) it really don't have to be of import. Yeah, he's he's waving at people now. So if Gary Myers of the New York Daily News passes by. begging people to come over. You'll you'll jump off to to talk to Gary. Well, first of all, Gary Myers would have to recognize David. That requires Gary to have any recognition factors whatsoever. Because you can walk right up to Gary and he won't recognize you. Well. Maybe he has some Well, issues. maybe on the third or fourth time he might. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> All right. All right. So we have David Moore. We, we have, do we have the hottest team in the NFL that, that you're, are you covering now? Uh, two, two wins in a row. They've got the Raiders coming up. Pe- pe- oh, the Chargers, says Jose. Are, are, what, what's your title here, Jose? <laughs> Why are you Jose still working on his title? Jose still, Jose is the, we'll call him the executive producer. I like that. So of the podcast. So, but 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 anyway, uh, but the Cowboys are hot. They're not the hottest team, obviously. We were just using a little hyperbole there. But now, David, please, the Cowboys are not going to make the playoffs, are they? I do not envision a scenario where that will happen. Uh, I just think that the uh, the the NFC the NFC is really wide open at the moment. But that three game losing streak where they lost three games by. 20 or more points in each game, I, I think, plummeted them to a spot to where they had to have so much work in their favor. I, again, I, I think this past week was a uh, pretty good example and really summarizes, uh, you know, where they stand as far as what's going on here. This is a team that beat New York, went into the week, had a 9.3% chance of advancing to the playoffs, of making the playoffs, won by 20 points, and so those odds drop to about 6%. So uh, uh, I think that gives you an idea of, of the number of teams they're up against. And even if they went out here, I, I think it's highly unlikely that they make the playoffs even if they went out. And here's the crazy thing, David. They are 4-1 and one in their division. 
four and one in their division, and they're not going to make the playoffs. Uh, it, it is kind of a, a remarkable season when when you think that they could win. They could conceivably certainly win out. They, Oakland is is uh, all over the map. Uh, Seattle has struggled this year, and that game is here at Jerry World. And then they close against the Eagles, who will be without Carson Wentz. And, uh, and at that point, who knows what they'll be doing. Uh, obviously, they're going to have Foles back in the fold. Uh, <laughs> and they will try to, to – uh, I'm sure they will try to get something done with him. You know, I, I have a hard time believing in that last game that they're going to sit all the regulars uh, when they're going to have to try to figure out how their quarterback, their new quarterback, is going to work with with everybody. So uh, I, I think that will be a, a, a tough game for them to win. But they could conceivably end up ten and six and out of the playoffs. That's just that's just phenomenal to me. Yeah, this is a really you, you hardly ever see this. Last year they went thirteen and three, and they were three and three in the division and and ran away with the division, and it wasn't even contested. This year, they're 4-1 and one in the division, and they were eliminated from having a chance to win the division with four weeks left of the regular season. But, 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 so uh, it's highly unusual. I mean, it, look, uh, usually teams don't win divisions unless they win four games. Uh, this team has won four games and has a pretty good chance to win five, I think, as you, as you laid it out. And uh, that's not going to get it done. So two very unusual uh division switches over these last two years. Last year, a team that was dominant, the only time it lost all year was in division. This year, it dominates the division and has no shot whatsoever. Again, they've, they've been eliminated from the division, which puts them into the wild card race, and, and which is now those division wins are helpful from the standpoint that they're conference wins, and, and that's the first tiebreaker when you get into, if you have multiple teams there, uh, but the, the issue is a lot of these other teams in the wild card race, they've already played and they've already lost to. So, you know, they're going to have to uh, hope for some three-way tie scenario for the final, you know, po- for the final wild card spot where maybe, just maybe, they have a better conference record. But if they go head-to-head, the teams are most likely looking at to go head-to-head with, uh, they've lost to this year. David, can I be frank here? Or not yeah, Barry? No, I want, be, I, want, Barry? I want to be frank. Uh, May I the, call you Frank? Sure, yeah. please do. The, the the two teams that they have two wins against each, the Redskins and the Giants, they're both horrible, horrible teams. And, of course, the team that is uh, worthwhile, the wor- wor- worthwhile team in the end, they've lost to. They got destroyed by. So, you know, anything other than 4-1 and one at this point would would really be a detriment to the Cowboys. You know, that's, again, negative people in the press when you <laughs> insist on looking at things this way. Okay, I'm Jason. Flabbergasted. Yeah. <laughs> well, you know, that's the crazy thing is, is that before the season started, everybody thought the Giants were the favorite to win the division. Uh, and, sure. and I and I think what's what's interesting to me is that we've all talked about the offense uh, with the Giants, and I I think it's completely unfair to dump all this. Even though Eli did not have a great game against the Cowboys either, he missed a couple of wide open oh. targets. But. That team has not had a running game for years. Uh, he doesn't have any uh, standout receivers to throw to. He's got a he's got a oh, tight end who's pretty good, hurt. and that's good. Yeah, and Brandon Marshall's out. I mean, oh, yeah. he's missing two. He's missing his two top receivers, uh, and and starting Shepard has had injury problems this year as well. Um, they, he's got as I said, they haven't had a running game in years. 
but the, the the interesting thing to me is how poorly that 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 uh, that big money defense has played this year. I mean, they're they're at the bottom of the NFL in total defense. How's your how's your guy Olivier, Olivier Vernon, Vernon played? They've year. done not, they got no pressure on. None. Was on it that the offensive pressure. line? Uh, oh, loved Olivier Vernon. You're a big Olivier Vernon fan. You were I, upset he didn't. Uh, the Cowboys. I, I, I was. I, I think if he had played under Rod Marinelli, he would have blossomed into something great. He'd, he'd be Demarcus Lawrence. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I tell you what, that they were right about that. They've got that to work out. There's no question about it. I was wrong, and they were right. But I will say this: it, it and that was the, the the issue in the game Sunday. How? How? I wonder how many times in the NFL this year, uh, uh, neither team. Registered a sack in the game. Neither team. That, that's that's kind of hard to believe. It, Dak Prescott has all the time. Especially when it starts getting, yeah. Especially when it starts getting away from you late, and teams are going to take chances and look down the field. Uh, you know, there are a lot of games where neither team has a sack, but but suddenly one team's up by ten points with four or five minutes left, and you you see a couple of sacks in the game. Uh, you didn't even have that in this one. Did you see and, how elusive you know, that, he that's what like? A lot of teams do now. You know, doing this short passing. Again, if everything's short and it's one after catch, and you're just you know taking a three-step drop and releasing the ball, um, you know that that's what more and more teams try to do. Um, again, you have to push them out of their uh, comfort zone and put them in a situation where they have to play catch up and, and, and have to throw the ball down the field a little bit more. And, and Dallas was able to do that late. Still didn't get any uh, sacks, but but I thought overall had had good pressure. I, I think. And that's another thing, too. I think one of the big questions about this team coming into this year was uh, the defensive line. Uh, would it be able to put any pressure? They didn't look like they had anyone, and now they've developed two guys who are outstanding pressure guys, and, and that's an element of the defense uh, you didn't think you would have with the Cowboys. Uh, it, and it's shown itself over the course of the season, but again, not enough to put them in a position where they should feel good about their playoff chances. All right, let, let's let's skip the playoff chance because as I think we're all in agreement here that the chances are very slim they're going to do that. But let's talk about a couple of weeks ago. There was a lot of talk about people being on the hot seat. Jason's on the hot seat. Rob Marinelli's on the hot seat. Scott Linehan's on the hot seat. Everybody's going to get fired if this team goes ten and six. I, I my suggestion is that no one gets fired and that and that Rob Marinelli will not you know quit because he's you know eight hundred years old. So. Uh, it, it, <laughs> Is, is is that what? What do you think about that? I I find it uh, highly unlikely that there will be any significant changes on the coaching staff after this season. Now I think that was still in question coming off of the uh, we talked about earlier the three game stretch where you're not even competitive and you watch your season uh, go down the drain, uh, losing the teams by twenty or more points, especially when you led in, in uh, three of those games or were tied at halftime. Uh, if that trend would have continued, if you wouldn't have responded to that, uh, I, I, I would be flabbergasted if they hadn't have made a change at the end of the season. But what they've done now is here's a team that was outscored in the second half of that three-game losing streak, 72 to nothing, and now in these final two games, they've outscored opponents 41 to seven. Uh, put an even finer point on it, they've outscored Washington and New York by a score of 41 to seven in the fourth quarter alone. I understand these aren't good teams, but the way you saw the Cowboys respond and and remain somewhat uh, relevant as far as the postseason berth is concerned, I, I think is enough uh, for for the you know the ownership to say okay, uh, they, they did respond. This team did not quit on the coaching staff. 
uh, we had a, a perfect storm here of not just losing Elliot, but Tyron Smith being out, Sean Lee being out. Uh, they did not respond the way we wanted, but they, they have righted the ship. Uh, let's just, you know, bank on good health uh, next year, add the key pieces we feel we need to add in the offseason, we should be off and running again. Let me, let me flip the scenario and ask the negative media question on this. Does it sure, bo- does please it- do. Please do. Does does it bother you that, or is there a candidate on this coaching staff for a possible head coaching job elsewhere in the NFL? It, it, what what I mean is, would somebody come looking at any member of the Cowboys staff to uh, move on to their staff, possibly as head coach no. or coordinator? Is, is, is that no. troubles? Is that troublesome? Well, ideally, you would like to have someone in place moving forward. Uh, but it, you, you would also want that with the understanding that, you know, we'll, uh, you want that guy moving forward. And, and I just don't think Jason Garrett um, is on the verge of going anywhere anytime soon. So you can argue, you know what, uh, what's wrong with a couple of, of outstanding coordinators who are, who are deep into their careers who maybe don't have the ambition or the drive to actively seek a head coaching job anymore. They've also What's been head coaches, but, David. Yeah, because well, see, I, I would argue, you know, that uh, a lot of times uh, that that outstanding coordinators are miscast as a head coach, and you actually, uh, again, it's a position where you see, like, you know, you have to move up. Uh, this is the logical next step on the ladder, and then they take that step, and they're not nearly as effective as what they were as coordinators, and they don't enjoy the role as much either. But it's something you have to do. You know, I think Marinelli and uh, Linehan have both been head coaches in this league. Were not particularly successful. They love being coordinators, and I think it's a uh, uh, I think it's a good fit for this staff up at the top. I, I understand people wanting to make changes, uh, wanting to infuse youth, and, and I think you have to do that. And, and I think Garrett looks to do that, but I don't think he looks to do it at the coordinator position right now. No, I think you got Aber Flessett, uh, the linebackers coach, who's considered a guy, he's an up and comer, and, and a guy who's done. He's the most attractive. Job. He's the most yeah. attractive. But you know, you haven't heard a lot about him lately, and it's no, and it's interesting. I I I, I always assume that uh, you know if, if Rod Marinelli goes, I, I would expect uh, Matt Eberflus to be the uh, defensive coordinator of this team. I would think they would do that from within. He's very highly thought of. Uh, I know other people in the league uh, think highly of him. I think that is where you would see it happen. But if something happened with Garrett, it's not like you're going to say, okay, let's put Eberflus in charge of the team. No, it, it, Jerry's going to go outside for that. But, and, and I'll say to, to, to Barry's uh, argument about that. About, it's not an argument. It was a point. Uh, uh, it's not a good one. It was uh, a oh. oh, Let me go back to Because, look, I'll, I'll go back to a, a, the college level on that. In the 60s, when Arkansas and Texas were the two big powers in the Southwest Conference, you had Darrell Royal at Texas and Frank Broyles at Arkansas. Uh, Frank Broyles was very much seen as the CEO who who just churned out head coaches. I mean, there was the list, a a dozen guys who went on to become not only college head coaches, but pro head coaches. Uh, So very much cultivated that kind of talent. Whereas at Texas, you had Darrell Royal who had a couple. You know, Spike Dykes is probably the most prominent head coach that ever came off of his staff, and, and Fred Akers. Fred Akers and, and, and Spike Dykes were the, were the two biggest names. When he retired and was forced out, 
he wanted Mike Campbell to become the head coach as a defensive coordinator. But would you say that Daryl Royal was an ineffective head coach? No. He was a very strong personality and a great head coach. So I, I, I certainly see that working both ways. Well, that, but the, you, that, that's not a doing. good analogy. That's not a good comparison. Because you're saying Jason Garrett's not a great you're, coach. You're, no, because you're, you're talking well, about but, colleges but where, where, where Daryl Royal was a coach at the University of Texas. Uh, th- that, that was a pretty good starting point for him as a Fred, coach, his recru- recruiting. It didn't do David McWilliams any good. No, it, didn't, it, it didn't do uh, John Makovic any good. It didn't do, you know, there are a lot of coaches who didn't do it, anything it was a different time that it was the University it was of Texas. It was, no, it was, it was it's just time. two different styles. And and if you, you, it depends on whether you can make it work or not. Uh, I think it can, it, it certainly worked on, for Frank Broyles to do it the way he did it. I think it certainly worked for the way Daryl Royal did it. Congratulations on getting you gratuitous Arkansas reference in. Yeah. Uh, you could get in it. We don't have a college podcast well, well, this think, week. So you, could, you, well, did, you, know, you did that. Well, I think the other thing you have to look at here, too, is you have to see when these individuals were installed as head coaches and what their background was at that moment. When Jason Garrett was installed as a head coach of the Cowboys, it was the first time he had been a head coach in his career. Uh, he was one of the younger head coaches in the league. Now, if you're in that position, are you going to bring in a lot of other guys your age when you have not been established and kind of create this survival of the fittest where the, you know, the moment, uh, your weakness, <laughs> you see a weakness or blood in the water, uh, the guys you brought in are, uh, lobbying and, and jockeying for the job to be your successor. I think it made a lot more sense. And look, what one of the biggest questions was with, uh, Garrett coming into the league was, well, you haven't been head coach before. You need experienced coordinators. You need guys who have been in this league longer and, and lean on that experience. And so the dynamic was different. Now, I, I do think you're, you'll see a difference uh, two, three, four years down the road, whatever it is, uh, if you replace Linehan and Marinelli. Then I think you're going to see Jason Garrett go with younger, up-and-coming guys. But at that stage, he will have been established in his job, and it's a different dynamic, and I think it's a little bit easier to do. Yeah. Well, I just asked, I just asked an innocent question, and you guys took it as, as I was attacking. Oh, I'm, I'm, just, I'm just saying, I was trying to make the point that there. I don't know that that's a, a prerequisite. You know, saying, oh, you got a bad staff and nobody wants to hire your guys. I didn't say it was a bad coach. staff. I, I, just, I just think it's, it's interesting. Oh yeah, yeah. And that's what you say now. It's interesting. Uh, <laughs> I, I will say this. You know, it's interesting to me that uh, the the two things that came about this season that surprised me. One was, uh, and I thought that Scott Linehan has done a terrific job with the offense since he's been here. And until this season, when they <laughs> they couldn't figure out, hey, there's uh, there's there somebody appears to have left the door open somewhere. Where's the door open? Because people are just running through it over here, and we're getting our quarterback killed. And that they couldn't figure that out. And then I saw a, a quote from Scott Linehan the other day in which he basically said, yeah, we just, you know, we, we, it was terrible. We just couldn't get that stopped. It's like that's your job is to get it stopped and to figure out how do we fix this. And I think, you know, uh, and we've talked about that too, about how uh, Jason Garrett's M.O. pretty much is that we're going to do the things, we're going to be consistent, we're going to keep doing things the same way. But sometimes in the course of a game it requires you to think on your feet a little bit and make a, a quick adjustment. Scott didn't do that. Jason didn't do that. Uh, it was surprising to me. Uh, it doesn't to me, to me. It doesn't mean that he shouldn't be the offensive coordinator next year. I think I think that continuity is so important. And this is where fans, to me, miss out on stuff. 
if a guy clearly is not doing the job and things aren't working out, then, well, it's probably time to make a change. But it's so important for a young quarterback to have that continuity, to have the same offensive coordinator year after year. If they're, if they're getting along and if, they're, and if it's working for them, then you need to keep that guy in place. I think that is far more valuable than thinking, oh, we just need to blow this up and start all over again. Yeah, I don't think – and look, the other thing about blowing it up is you have to have – a viable option that you're excited about that you believe moves things forward. Right. Um, do you see that out there at the moment? Or are you also in a stage now where you have to project? You have to go, well, maybe uh, we can go with this coordinator off this other team and, and we think he has something special about him. Um, so, I, you know, you have periods when in uh, job searches where – the, the established candidates or the usual suspects are, are no longer in place. One, uh, because they've aged out, or two, uh, because they've just signed, uh, you know, contracts that, that keep them in place for a while. Um, so, you know, Sean Payton is obviously a guy the Cowboys would have a lot of interest in. I don't see Sean Payton being available at the end of this New Orleans season. It's just not going to happen. So uh, when you take all that into effect and you step back and you go, okay, uh, who would you turn this team over to that is better equipped to have success with them than the than the coaching staff in place? I don't know how compelling of an argument you can make for someone else. Now, look, I also want to say that's not an excuse for not to do something. If you feel something needs to be done, you jump out there and you do it. But, uh, you know, if you don't have someone that, that you're real excited about or convinced can do the job, I think you step back again and say, okay, just where are we? Why did this happen this year? What are the good things? What are the bad? Uh, and do we really, it, has it really risen to the level where now is when we may need to make a change? And I just, I think when uh, uh, the Jones family goes through all of those factors at the end of the season, they'll say, we don't need to make a coaching staff change now. We just need to um, get some more speed uh, on offense. We, we need to uh, get another linebacker or, or two in here. So uh, I think those will be the sort of things they look at, not a coaching staff upheaval. David, let's look ahead to something we know that's going to happen on Sunday, Sunday night, when the uh, Cowboys travel to Oakland to play the Raiders. And I, I keep wanting to say Los Angeles Raiders. I don't know why. But they're, they're going to the Las Vegas Raiders, actually. Las Vegas, Raiders, yeah. yeah, but, but there's, the, ga- the game will be in Oakland. Um, what, what, what do you think the Cowboys' chances are to win, to make it three in a row? Well, I thought when you step back a couple of weeks ago looking at it, I, I thought Dallas would beat Washington and New York. Um, I did not think they would beat Oakland. Um, I, I thought that would probably be uh, where their faint hopes uh, went to die as far as the playoffs are concerned this year. But having seen Oakland being tied for the division lead uh, with three other teams in the AFC West, have a division showdown with the Denver, t- Denver team that's not good at all, and then to spot them 26 points in a game that would have allowed them to be division leaders if they're coming out of it, or at least tied for the division lead, uh, to perform so poorly in that situation, it makes you question, if they weren't inspired and up for that game, what are they going to have to throw in the field against the Cowboys? So I... I'm thinking now that the Dallas actually does have a pretty good chance to uh, pick this one up on the road. Yeah, well, I, I, I go, and you're going to go to the other two as well. Um, well, then, and then once you get there, um, you're going to know going into 
that game with Seattle, uh, you know, that's a later game. You could be eliminated by then, um, you know, depending on what happens this weekend. And in fact, there, there is a scenario where if Dallas loses this weekend, they could be eliminated. Uh, you'll have to have everything else go right. But again, this past week, they needed five things to happen to actually gain ground, and only four of the things went against them. <laughs> and like we said, their, their playoff, uh, slim playoff odds went down even more, even with winning. So, that Seattle, I think the landscape could be so different going into that game, but that could be the uh, that could be the last gasp for uh, both of those teams. And um, you know, it'll be Elliott's first game back, uh, which, which should give Dallas some energy. Uh, Seattle is beat up defensively, but uh, Russell Wilson's playing it at a remarkably high level right now, and, and they're capable of winning any game offensively, and, and he's shown that over the course of the season. So it's. Uh, I would hesitate to pick that one right now just because I think the landscape could be so different from what it looks like right, right at the moment. You know, I, I'm, uh, I'm going to say over these last three games, they go 2-1. and one. Uh, I think they win in Oakland. I think they, that they win against Seattle, and I think they'll lose to the Eagles. Even, even, even with, if the Eagles have nothing to play for. Even without Carson Wentz. I just think that with Foles uh, back, they're going to have to try to really keep everybody in. They're going to have to get ready for the. They, they can't afford to take that game off now. They, they could have. Yeah, that, that's a tough spot for them. You know, if they have, if they're in that position and, and, and they're still in a position where they're the one or two seed and they get the first week by. Right. So now you're talking about playing Foles for two games and then pulling him out for that final game and then giving him another week off. Right. Um, I mean, you, you saw it took Dallas. Uh, I thought Dallas was playing at a, at a pretty good level. Uh, they decided to shut it down, and I think every other team does in that situation as well. I don't just think it's the Cowboys. Uh, but protect some of their key guys, uh, you know, lost that final game, had a week off, and they didn't really look like themselves until the second half of that Green Bay game. So it's a uh, teams that jump out and, and have that number one seed and just manage that final regular season game. You have to throw in that, well, look, now suddenly you're talking about not playing a meaningful game with your key guys for three weeks. And when does that ever happen over the course of the season? It never does once the season starts. So that's a, that's a difficult thing to handle. So I think it's going to be fascinating to see what the Eagles do there since uh, they lost wins and, and how they proceed with it. But, but if, I mean, if you force me to pick an overall number, I, I agree with Kevin. I, I, I don't know how it's going to shake down which ones they win or lose, but, but I would think – uh, nine and seven is the most likely scenario for Dallas uh, uh, to finish this season. I, I know there's a, somebody approaching, and you probably have to get get moving pretty quickly. But I just wanted to ask one last question because I always have one last question. Yeah, to ask. he has like Thank, four th- last th- questions. Thankfully, Evan Grant's not here to, to point this out. But I, I just want to say, Rod Smith, you expect to see more of him this week? Um, I don't. You know, I don't think as much as some people would anticipate. I, I think you'll. They may look for a way to get him three to five more touches over the course of the game, and I think he certainly deserved that. But this is a guy that's carved a niche for himself in this offense going forward. And I think what's going to be interesting is, to me, the more interesting question is, who are you going to see more once Ezekiel Elliott gets back, Alfred Morris or Rod Smith? Okay. And I would maintain you're actually going to see more Rod Smith once yeah. Elliott gets back. Yeah. And uh, because, because Alfred Morris is a volume runner, and he's at his best. Uh, and, you know, look, look when he's been in there. His second half has been, by and large, much stronger than his first half. And, you know, he's not a guy you spot and, and get big production out of 
in four to eight touches. His production starts coming when he gets up around 12, 13, 14 touches. Uh, Rod Smith is a guy you just, you you know, pop in randomly, and he's shown he can produce in that role. So I think it's more suited and conducive for him to be uh, maintain his role once Elliott returns, where I think you're going to see uh, Morris, by and large, be uh, kind of a forgotten guy. All right, David, we'd like to thank Kevin. Oh, wait a minute. Kevin has another question. Kevin has another question. You know, sometimes it's hard for me to sit in here next to you. I tell you. Sometimes. (laughs) I take that as a compliment. So that means sometimes it's easy to sit next to you. No, no, no. Liz, uh, I think we'd be remiss because you can't just dismiss this, the return of Sean Lee and how he played against the Giants. You know, I guess that's easy for us to start to take that for granted a little bit, but it is remarkable that he comes back and plays that well. He had, he had what, 14 tackles in that game, David? 14 tackles, yeah. And, uh, you know, you, you could see several times they were lined up and he recognized mm-hmm. New York's formation called it out, the entire defense shifted, and then that's where New York ran the play into the shift of what doubt where Lee got them into. So yeah. uh, his recognition is just, you know, what he did on that reverse uh, was was really kind of crucial in my mind. That was a key part of the game. They had to punt, and, and soon after that, uh, Dallas found its footing offensively. Uh, he it was, just, yeah. uh, his impact on all the defense is just uh, undeniable, and but look, you know, I think you're seeing Jalen Smith play better over these last two to three games. Uh, Kitchens, in my mind, has always been one of their more uh, underappreciated uh, performers. And you've suddenly seen the uh, uh, the front seven, I mean, excuse me, the, the defensive line. You have some pass rush there. And now you're seeing some good things uh, from this young secondary. Um, you know, they made the determination to let four of their six guys in the back end walk. Uh, it really hurt them early in the season. Uh, but now that some of these guys are healthy and they're getting on the field, uh, you're seeing why they wanted to make that change. So as bad as they have been defensively, uh, especially without Lee, I think you've started to see some things over this five- to six-week period uh, that leaves them feeling good about where this defense is going to be going into next season. That uh, Now, again, that hasn't helped them navigate this stretch, but I think you're seeing some individual performances and some improvement where you can now look at the defense next year and say, you know what, uh, this defense should be pretty good. I, I, I agree with that. I think there's some some really good signs. The, to me, the thing that you really miss with when Sean Lee is that it's just what David said, putting everybody in the right place. Because when, when he went out, they were playing really well, and he got hurt, and then all of a sudden everything just went to pot as soon as he was out of the game. The, these His recognition factor – I was watching a, a replay the other day, and the play start, turned to go to the right, and he was already going to his left yeah, right that, when the play was going to the right. It was just I, like I think that's the play David was referring to. We remar- they made a big deal about that on TV. It was just remarkable to me that he is so certain. And, of course, afterward, he's just typical Sean Lee. I don't, you know, to me, he's like, he's like Dirk. Uh, he, he's talking about how the coaches really worked with me and showed me some things. It's like, you know, come on. The coaches are working with everybody, and they're, and they're trying to get everybody to do the right thing. It, it, it's the, the guy that it's impressing, or at least the guy who's working. And I'm not saying the other guys aren't working hard. They are. But no one's working like Sean Lee is, and no one's uh, as intuitive well, no, and as the, he is. Yeah, and the coaching staff, members of the coaching staff will tell you that they'll, you know, they'll leave their office sometimes at 10, 30, 11 at night, and as they're walking out, they look over 
and they see that the, the light's on in the linebacker room and Sean Lee is in there by himself studying when the coaches are going home. Are they sure he's in so, there, or does he just leave the light on before he leaves? <laughs> well, no, they, 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 pick, they peek their head in. It's, it's like okay. that check. You know, they want to make sure they're not having something put over on them. So, uh, <laughs> yeah, he's... Uh, uh, his, and, you know, I, I forgot which game it was, but there was a game earlier this season. I, I want to say it was in, the, in week uh, three or four or somewhere along in there where the opponents afterwards were saying, you know, this, this was unreal. Sean Lee was at the position where the ball was going to be before our offensive players were. And it didn't just happen one or two times. It was happening throughout the game. And uh, that's what he does. He puts himself and others in position to make plays, and, and that's why this defense is so much better when he's out there. David, which of the young defensive backs do you like the most? Do you think will have the biggest impact long term on this team? Well, I think. Um, look, if if Chidobeyawuzia hadn't had the hamstring pull when he did, he was going to move into the starting lineup sooner rather than later. It turned out later because of the injury. But I think uh, he, he's a physical guy, uh, which they've always wanted their corners to be with Rod Marinelli and, and didn't really have. They had more uh, zone corners. Uh, he wants man-to-man corners who are physical, who can also play zone. I think you have that with him. I, I think Jordan Lewis is, uh, is an outstanding athlete. And I, I think he's going to be very good, too. But I, I think Shidabe Awuzi is the guy that uh, that they pinpointed, and, and you can see a lot from going forward. And and look, uh, Xavier Woods is a very instinctive safety. Uh, he puts himself in positions to make plays as well, and he, he's a guy who doesn't necessarily practice great, but every time he gets out in a game, uh, he grades out pretty well from what the coaching staff says. So I, I think they found uh, three young guys this year that they feel good about moving forward, but I also think that's a position they're going to address again uh, in the draft pretty high to get another corner in here. And uh, if they get on another corner in the second round, like I hope Chitabe Awuzia is, uh, I think they feel very good about where they can be defensively. I think you just like saying that name. It's, it's, better, than, than, it's better than when our old our friend Peter uh, in the at Jerry World, the, in, in the PA uh, in press box, <laughs> he struggles with that one, and, and, as he did with Samaji Pirine uh, when the Reds Pirine was here. Issues there. Yeah, he kind of went back and <laughs> forth on that one. Uh, anyway, David, it's been a little bit of heaven having you on here with us. We appreciate that. Uh, get out there in those meetings, stir it up, ask some, ask some really uh, provocative questions. Get somebody to, to throw you out of the press conference, David. If you also, I like to say, if you find out any, any of those NFL teams are for sale and you need a couple extra bucks, uh, if one of the owners <laughs> tells you, just call Kevin and I. We we got some money. To go in we have money. money to go in if we get money out of our four hundred one k. I think I think we'll uh, Barry will cash in his Berkshire Hathaway stock. Oh, the 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 weekly reference to my Berkshire. I have one freaking share. Yeah. Well, it's just that it sells for I don't know what two hundred ninety thousand. Oh no! Wow. Let's cut this out again. Yeah. This week. <laughs> anyway, thanks, David. We'll see you, man. Okay. See you guys. All thanks right. a lot. Thanks, thanks, David. And, and we sh- we should point out that Coach Warren Buffett. Doesn't have any young. We have yes, some young assistants, <laughs> but but his number one assistant is even older than him. Yeah, let's just let's just, let's just throw that out. Well, you know, I, 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 it's not going to go through the floor. Let's say that. No, I don't. I don't think so. But uh, it's always good to have David on. I'm, sure. I, I was glad Roger Goodell had the decency of not to uh, interrupt our podcast or or Jerry Jones. They were just waiting. They wait. They wait. Now David gave him the signal. Yeah. And now, now, now the NFL meetings and owners now meetings can move they're on. having their meetings. Yes. Sir. So this was. I think we had a good day podcasting. It was a little different. We had 
Uh, Michael Meredithon talking about the uh, Ice Bowl, which I thought was terrific. And the 50th anniversary. 50th Michael, an- the son of uh, Dandy Don Meredith. Yeah, son yeah. of uh, the late Dandy Don Meredith. Mm-hmm. Uh, so he brings us his father's perspective. He was the starting quarterback for the Cowboys in that game. Of course, Dan Reeves threw the only touchdown for the uh, Cowboys nice in, trivia. In, in that game. Yeah. yeah, this has been my life for the last... Yeah. They put me on ice for this. But uh, <laughs> And also, Evan Grant was uh, astute, uh, his astute insight into the did Texas you, Rangers. Did you call him a stooge? I said astute. Oh, I thought you said he was a stooge. Astute. Okay. He's a stooge, too. Yeah. But, but But he's, he's astute. And... Uh, uh, and he's, David, at the, he's also at the winter meetings, the baseball winter Baseball, meetings. there's meetings everywhere. Meetings everywhere. Let's, where are we going to meet for lunch today? Well, we'll, we'll, we'll talk about that later. All right. Let's, we'll, we'll meet and, you know, for, we're broadcasting for the second time from our beautiful new downtown digs on the other side of downtown. We have a studio where we could, we're not, it's not a claustrophobic studio. I want listeners to know. The other, we, we're, we used to broadcast basically out of a closet. Yeah, pretty much. Now, now we're in a studio. We have a big window. We could look out. We could see one, two. Eight tel- ten television screens. I don't know what we're looking at. We could see the hubbub and the. And, we could see we could the, see the downtown fren- through the windows. The frenetic, the frenetic energy that goes on in the newsroom at <laughs> yeah. There's a lot of energy out there. In the morning, <laughs> and th- this has been great. Uh, always a pleasure. Will you be here next week? Or are you on vacation? Uh, again? We'll be here next week. Next week will be the last podcast of the year, I believe. For you, well, for me. Are, are you? Are y'all going to do it? No, I'm I'm staying here. I'm I, I will be here because this is the beauty of having uh, Jewish guys on the staff. They work right through the holidays, I, and I'm going to volunteer to work Christmas Day this year. And by the way, Happy Hanukkah! Thank you, thank you, thank you. Um, no, I'm still wait. Where's the gift? <laughs> no, no gifts. A gift every day, buddy. No. All right, gifts. you'll take me to lunch. Yeah. All right, everybody. For Kevin Sherrington, I'm Barry Horn. For Evan Grant, who would say goodbye if he was here, but he's not. I'd like to say goodbye, everybody. Thanks for listening to the Cowboys Ballsy with a Z podcast. Don't forget to subscribe via iTunes. You'll get new episodes every week. And follow us on Facebook and Twitter. Until next time, sports fans, see you.